Hi, I'm Allison, and welcome to the Searching for Vitality podcast. Candice and I are the co-hosts, and we are interviewing health and wellness practitioners in the greater Omaha and Lincoln area with the goal of learning different ways to better our wellness. We are searching for ways to better our mind, body, and spirit, and invite you to follow along in our journey. Our hope is that this podcast inspires you to connect with various experts in our local community to build a team to help you along your own journey. We hope you enjoy this episode. Today we are talking to Alyssa Talkington, who works for Nebraska Early Childhood Collaborative. She is the program manager for Parent Ambassador Program. Thank you for joining us today, Alyssa. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you became involved with the field of early childhood development and health? Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, So like you mentioned, my name is Alyssa Talkington. I currently work at the Nebraska Early Childhood Collaborative as the Parent Ambassador Program Manager. Um, And actually, when I first started my adult life and career, I didn't anticipate I would end up in the early childhood realm. Um, I started with a degree in psychology and thought I would be a school guidance counselor and quickly learned in the state of Nebraska, you also had to teach. And I was a hard no on teaching. Uh, That wasn't my thing, even though I had lots of friends who were teachers. so I kind of took a different route and I ended up um, working with young people um, in, a, in a group home setting, typically, uh, primarily with teenage boys. And I learned really quickly there, um, like the importance of holistic and wraparound services for families. So we were serving the young men in that program to become rehabilitated, whatever they were going through. So some of them were there for um, issues with the law, some of them had mental health concerns, some of them had disabilities um, that they were struggling with. And so there was a lot of different things. But what I noticed was we were serving the young person in the group home setting and then sending them back home to their family, but not providing the parents any resources once their child came back home. Um, So I learned really quickly, you know, we need to help the whole family and not just the individual. Um, And so from there, I worked a couple different jobs. I worked um, as a contractor, case manager for um, what was called Nebraska Families Collaborative. And so that was where we took on um, cases that came through like Child Protective Services. And we worked with families um, to reunify with their children if their children entered foster care and to get families resources. Um, from there, I did home visitation for eight years um, at Nebraska Children's Home Society. And that was one of my favorite jobs of all times because I got to be with teen parents from the time they were pregnant Um, until they kicked me out. Um, And so for some of them, um, you know, I got to be there as they were pregnant and then, you know, work with them until their child was entering kindergarten. And so it was just like this really beautiful um, relationship where you got to help and walk alongside a mom or a dad um, who was really going through a lot of things and and kind of just bring them to resources, connect them. Um, And then from there, I was approached by um, NACC, my current position, um, to lead this policy group. And I really didn't have a lot of experience in the policy realm. And I really didn't have a lot of experience in early childhood as, you know, in the realm of early childhood child care, some might say daycare, some say child care, that kind of thing. Um, but they knew that I loved working with families and parents. And so that's kind of why they looked me in um, and how I kind of found myself in the position I'm in now. 
Yeah, that sounds um, like a great kind of background that you have to um, end up where you are now. Um, one thing that you talked about was helping provide resources to parents. And I think that is so valuable. Um, I have a son, he's 22 months now. Um, and, you know, I guess over the last couple of years in my parenting journey, um, it's interesting because it's always changing. Like you feel like you have things figured out and then it changes. And, you know, in the times of like stressful situations, like you tend to default to what you know, which is kind of how you were raised or what you grew up with, whether that's good or bad. Um, and not all, everyone has um, the resources and the time to mm -hmm. dig through and try to find resources to help them on their own. So being able to provide those to people, I think it's really valuable. And I would love if you could talk more about the type of resources that you provide. Yeah. So I guess I'll backtrack to my time as a home visitor. In that program, we specifically served teen parents, but there were several other departments that served, you know, other kinds of, of caregivers. So we had a grandparent raising your grandchildren group, because in our world today, we see a lot of what we call kinship care, where it may be like an aunt or a great aunt or a grandparent. Um, and they specifically created a group to support those caregivers. And then they also had another program called Healthy Families America, which was extended across the nation, but they primarily work with families um, with parents who are 19 and over. So there was lots of different programs in home visitation. And I'll plug that I would love for one day to see universal home visitation, um, which universal home visitation is where it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how old you are as a parent or how old your child is. If you want to work with somebody who can help with parenting education, resources, anything like that, you are eligible no matter what. Um, so some states have already started universal home visitation. Nebraska has not, and that would be my dream goal. Um, but as far as resources go, I mean, there are some really key things that have helped me get to know resources in our community. Um, for example, there's a Douglas County Community Response Group, and then there's a Lift Up Sarpy group. Um, those two groups primarily meet together, I think once a week uh, for Lift Up, but once a month for Douglas County. And literally agencies from across the state get together either via Zoom or in person, and they just talk about resources that they bring to the table. Sometimes, specifically in Lift Up Sarpy, they talk about, hey, this family approached me and they need a bed and a refrigerator. They just found a home, blah, 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 blah. And people will just pitch in and say, hey, our agency has access to that and we can provide that. So it's really just a practical way to help families get connected. Um, and I've learned a lot from those groups, things that like I never knew existed. I can email someone in that group and say, hey, does anyone know of? And people just shoot it back to you what they have. Um, so resource groups like that have been really, really helpful. And then just making connections in the community. Um, one thing I did in previous roles, too, was I would just go to agencies and learn about what they had to offer um, and make a connection with someone there. So then that way, when I worked with a family, I could say, hey, I know so-and-so at this office and make that warm handoff. Because for families like you mentioned, people are busy. They have a lot going on. You don't know their situation. And so to just give someone a phone number might be really scary or maybe they're not getting feedback from the other side once they make that cold call. So it was really important for me to make those connections. And then in my current role, I don't have as many 
families coming to me for resources, but I'm able to pull in things that I've learned from my past roles when that does come up. So for example, I had one of my parent ambassadors who had recently purchased a home and it was a big important you know, milestone for her. I mean, for anyone it is, but for her, it was particularly important. Um, she had grown up in foster care and she didn't know that those things were possible for her. And when she purchased the home, super excited, but then had a major radon issue and super expensive fix, obviously super unhealthy for her and her kids in the home. Um, and so I knew of a resource through Douglas County Community Response that was able to help her pay for all of the repairs in the home that were needed for safety. So um, while I don't have as many families coming to me for resources now in my parent ambassador role, the connections that I'm able to help people make, I think are really key. Um, I have another parent ambassador right now who's approaching her um, city council about a possible childcare center in her rural town. Um, and I don't know those people, but I know people who know those people. So uh, connection for me is huge, I think, in my current role. And then with your job, when you mentioned the, the you know, first you kind of worked with the boys that were in a, like a, a trouble home, um, just kind of reminded me of some situations I've been in with, you know, teens and boys town, and then the parents go home and they might have that same behavior. Um, do you help the parents also kind of give them ideas of how to treat the behaviors or how to switch it into a healthy um, reaction and behaviors at all? Um, does your company help that with, with those kind of situations as well? So my current in my current role at NECC, primarily we focus on early childhood. So we don't work with as many older youth. However, the the previous job I was in, we did a lot of um, parenting education. Um, so programs like Nebraska Children's Home that has programs for parenting education, they do specific things like they um, with their home visitation program, they had an evidence based curriculum. It was amazing and I loved it um, called Growing Great Kids. And it started prenatal and it would go to school ready age, so five. Um, and there was just really practical things that you would learn about, like um, brain development, emotional development. And I mentioned that because I feel like, you know, once you get to that age of the teenager and they're having some of those behavioral issues, there usually was something where the parent, and not that the parents at fault, but that there is something that there could have been an intervention earlier on. And so I'm always a huge um, advocate for parenting education and home visitation early because the parent can have that support to start some of those emotional regulation type um, learning lessons with their kiddos early on and learn how to model it themselves. What we found very often was that the parents we were working with were themselves living out trauma that they'd experienced um, or they themselves hadn't had great parenting um, examples. And so like you mentioned, Allison, they're living that out. Like they're, you know, even when people say, I don't want to be like or do what my mom did, you revert back to that a little bit, um, I think, in those moments of crisis or panic or not sure what to do. Um, but there are lots of other agencies in the community, uh, to your question about that, to support parents. Um, so even through Boys Town, I mean, there are parenting classes that people can be involved with. Um, there are certain types of therapy uh, that families can do together. So say, for example, we had a youth um, at Cooper Village, which is where I work with the group home. Um, but individual child or youth would be going through individual therapy, but then the parent could be doing therapy. And then there's another form of therapy called um, PCI, Parent-Child Interactive Therapy, 
where they're really focusing on how does the child and the parent interact together. Um, and so the way that works, and I'm not an expert on that, but I have amazing therapy friends that are, um, they'll put an earpiece in the parent's ear and they'll just let the child and the parent interact. So an older child, it'd be maybe more conversation with the parent, the younger child, it'd be more play. And they'll be giving the parent tips in their ear as they're interacting with their child. So they're kind of almost redirecting them if they're seeing things that the parent is doing that might be like instigating or triggering to the child and helping them kind of look at themselves too in their interactions with their, with their child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, kind of how they're able to coach the parents through those situations. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the parent ambassador program. Um, can you kind of go into that a little bit more and talk about the goals and really how it benefits parents and the early child care providers? Yeah. So parent ambassadors, we are technically on our third year in Nebraska. So we just went through our recruiting period. Um, Typically, we do that after the legislative session ends, um, and so then we'll recruit um, and interview new applicants for the next following uh, year. So um, while we're only three years in, Parent Ambassadors has existed in other states for a long time, and our program is closely modeled after Washington State's group. Um, they've been around for 15 years, and it's really cool because they have some great established relationships with their senators and their legislators, um, and they actually have a mom now who her mom was in the program 15 years ago. So that's really cool for me. Um, but so our program here in Nebraska, we really um, are targeting parents of young children. So they have to, in order to be eligible, they have to either be a parent or a caregiver, a child care provider serving kids eight years and younger. Um, and that's because we're really focusing on childhood, early childhood policy work. So there were several bills last year that impacted, um, for example, like subsidy for families for Title 20, um, also child care providers. There was a bill related to insurance for child care providers and things like that. So we keep a close eye on those policies that impact children and families and child care providers. Um, but the goal of our group really is to help parents and early childhood educators obtain advocacy skills. So then that way they can advocate for those things, but also whatever they're passionate about. So um, for example, we had some parents in our group um, who were really, really passionate about child welfare. We had, I think three foster parents in our first cohort and two or three individuals who they themselves grew up in foster care. And they shared, you know, their experiences. And, you know, while it wasn't exactly early childhood policy that they wanted to advocate for, they used the skills that they gained throughout the year program to advocate um, for the legislative session about that. So that could look really different depending on the, on the individual. Some people felt like really ready and they were wanting to reach out to their senator and um, felt comfortable doing that. Some people were like, I don't even know who my senator is. I don't understand that process of, you know, reaching out. Um, so we start from the basics. We say this is a really foundational program. We do, um, they commit to a year with the program and they're paid a stipend for their time. Um, we meet bi-weekly via Zoom and doing the, during those Zoom calls, we actually kind of do the same thing. We bring in resources to talk to our, our current ambassadors. Um, since our group is statewide, sometimes that can get tricky because we'll find a great resource, but it's only for the Omaha area. So we try to make sure we are mindful of that. Um, but we bring in some great organizations like Nebraska Appleseed, 
Um, we've had CLASA come in and talk about their court-appointed special advocates. So just different things. There's another um, organization through um, Healthy Blue called um, Project Period, where they provide free sanitary products to women, and it's um, a pretty easy process. So we just bring in resources, kind of depending on what the group is telling me they're interested in learning about. And then we kind of have a core curriculum. So the core curriculum covers things like uh, the legislative process, what our unicameral is, how to reach your senator. And then we do some practical things as we're learning about that. So during one of our calls, we might make a call to our senator uh, together. So it's not quite so scary. Um, we form a letter that we'll send out to our senator to introduce ourselves and say, hey, I live in your district. These are the things that I feel passionate about. If you want to know more, I'm here for you as an expert in XYZ, whatever it is that you're an expert in. So um, we, we give opportunities to learn about some of those things. And then we kind of create um, opportunities to practice some of those skills in spaces where hopefully it's not as nerve wracking. Um, so in addition to our bi-weekly Zoom calls, then we have four conferences a year. And those are full-day conferences. Um, we usually do a lot of learning too in those conferences. So our last conference, we had um, Gallup come in and they talked about strengths. Uh, they did the strength finder. Um, so each of our parent ambassadors was able to really think through what do I bring to the table? Where do I have strength that I can use in my advocacy goal? And then we had another breakout session called Power Mapping. Um, and actually one of our parent ambassador alumni came in um, and she led that session and talked about um, how do I reach my, my legislator? What, what do they have background in that relates to me? How can I make a connection with them? Um, and really talked through, you know, if someone doesn't see eye to eye with you on an issue, how can you approach them? Um, so that's kind of the bulk of what we do is learning and, and networking together. And then we're, this year we're moving into maybe doing some public facing events where the alumni will come in and share what they learned with friends, family, people in the community as well. Yeah, so that made me think about um, when I was pregnant with my son, George, I was working at a hospital and it was when the COVID vaccine rolled out and um, I did not feel comfortable getting the vaccine um, and my job was on the line because of it. Um, and so at that time I kind of started to like dip a little bit into advocating and, um, I believe I reached out to a couple of the senators, um, and sent them emails, mm -hmm. um, with my concerns. Um, and one of them was very rude in his response. Um, you know, I'm sure, he had his mind made up, made up about um, the situation and um, made it pretty clear that he wasn't really interested in hearing my concerns um, and pretty quickly kind of shut me down and um, kind of the concerns that I had that I had brought to him. Um, so I would love to hear you talk kind of about the challenges that you often encounter when you're advocating for parent support and early child care and um, kind of how you guys are working through those? Yeah, that's a great question. And I feel like um, a lot of our parent ambassadors have faced similar issues, or maybe they reach out and don't ever hear anything back. So it can be a really frustrating process, you know, when we tell people, um, you know, it's important that you reach out to your senator and then to not hear back or to not get a positive message or even feel like your voice is heard or valued. Um, so that is a real issue. It's a barrier we face a lot. 
Um, we do have some of our favorite senators who are always really um, open to listening or who seem to really be champions for things that are important to children and families. And I think one of the things that I continue to do with this group is encourage them to not give up. It can seem really overwhelming or it can seem really discouraging, but our legislators will change. And so that's another thing to kind of hope for. If you have somebody who just doesn't believe or support anything that you stand for, you know, just having hope that maybe someone else can come in. And we talk a lot about the importance of voting. Um, oftentimes what we see is people are so, um, they see the value in voting in the presidential um, elections, but not in our local elections. And Nebraska Appleseed comes in and they do this great three-part series called The Power of Participation. And they really break down what it is that uh, is required in order for things to shift. Um, and so they talked even about um, an election in Crete where literally the person was chosen by a, a flip of a coin because it was neck and neck the whole way. And if one more person had voted, they wouldn't have had to flip a coin kind of situation. And that blew my mind. So, um, you know, we talk about the importance of voting when it comes to who you have as your elected official and to not glaze over local elections and how important those are. And then, you know, continuing to just pursue them, you know, explaining where you're coming from. And, and power mapping is a good example of that. I mentioned that Jess Parker, who is our um, parent ambassador mentor. So she went through the first cohort with us. And now um, we contract with her to mentor our newer parent ambassadors. And she's just amazing. Like she doesn't take no for an answer. She keeps pursuing. Um, she's really involved in different areas of advocacy and she lives in Lincoln. So I kind of joke that she has a desk set up in the Capitol, which is really just a bench. And she just grabs people as she sees them come off an elevator and she just has so much tenacity. But, um, you know, when she talked about power mapping, it's really finding out, okay, if I'm going to approach, for example, um, Senator Michaela Kavanaugh, I know that she's already a champion for children and families. So what do I know about her personally or her background that can help her understand where I'm coming from. So you kind of be a little bit strategic about how you approach people. Um, there's a senator in Nebraska that she is really focused on business development, economic development. So when we approach her about childcare, it's been difficult because she doesn't understand it. She doesn't have children. That's just not in you know her priority list. But if we were to approach her and use power mapping, we would think through like, how does childcare impact the economy? So if we don't have access to childcare, how does that impact the people who are working in her district? Um, so kind of like, you know, you want to share your personal experience and share your story, but you also find that connection to really make it impact them in, in a certain way. So there's another, I'm thinking of another um, senator who she's grandkids. And so talking about like how childcare in, in impacts the grandchildren and how that relates back to some parent ambassadors who are facing similar issues. So really making it personal for them. And, you know, one of the things that's hard to do, even when you're facing someone who kind of has that nasty response, but always being, you know, um, positive and always being um, just a professional, but, you know, it doesn't do us any good to come at a senator um, and be nasty back. So, you know, continuing to try to pursue them, but trying to be, um as as positive as possible you know sometimes that can be really really hard like i said but um continuing to pursue them and the other thing is bringing people on board with you if one person approaches a senator about something that they don't feel strongly about it's kind of like whatever 
But if you bring a whole group of people in their district, it's hard to ignore that message. So that's one of the other goals of Parent Ambassadors is that we're bringing a group of people that all believe in child care, all believe in supporting families. So when you have a louder voice, it just, it's heard more. Um, and that message being heard more often starts to kind of like, you know, hopefully for people. Um, example of that, we had a parent ambassador who lived in the Republican city. I didn't even know where that was before I met her, but um, it's more the Southern part of the state. And she shared, you know, that her Senator just really didn't get childcare access issues either. And so our parent ambassadors were hearing her story and hearing about how classrooms were closing and how it was impacting their community. And so our parent ambassador group said, we don't live in her district. No one else lives in her district, but how can we support her? So several parent ambassadors called her senator, which sometimes is helpful. Um, people listen more if that's a person from their district. But if you get like 15 people to call somebody about the same issue versus one, there's a little bit bigger of an impact. Mm -hmm. So what are some things that communities and societies can do to better recognize and support some of these needs of parents? Yeah, so specifically thinking of childcare, one of the things we learned for our group, since it is statewide, is the issues that impact childcare in the rural communities are so different than urban. So one of the things one of our parent ambassadors said was, you know, my the urban families keep saying we don't have quality care. And I'm thinking in my rural community, I don't have any care. Like I don't have access to a childcare provider in 50 miles. And not that I would just choose anyone, they, they would need to be quality too, but I don't even have the option to choose between caregivers. Um, so, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking through some of the issues I've heard. Um, one of the things that is really impactful, I think, is there's a big campaign called We Care for Kids, if you've heard of that. Um, it's a campaign to bring awareness to childcare issues in our state. So they have a website and social media and they do different things to try to bring awareness to it. A lot of people don't understand the issues that we have. So for example, that same parent ambassador in Republican City said a parent approached her and said, oh, you guys closed, um, closed on Fridays. Must be nice to have an extra day off. And her response was, this is my full-time job. I don't want that day off, but they don't have the, the ability to continue to be open every day because they couldn't afford it. So um, just bringing awareness to the issues that exist. Um, another issue is there's a bill, I believe it's LD 485, and maybe this is something that um, maybe could be shared too, but they're doing interviews right now to share the, uh, the impact that changing the eligibility requirements for Title 20 childcare subsidy has had on families. Um, so just bringing way more of that to public knowledge. One of the things that I know a couple different agencies have done that do policy work as well is bringing that knowledge and that data to businesses. So if businesses understand, well, my employees are struggling so much to get childcare that they might end up quitting. Um, that changes how they support childcare issues in their, in their counties and their districts. So, I mean, even for me, when I was working um, in home visitation, I supervised the program at one point and I had two home visitors that came back after maternity leave and said, I love my job but my salary doesn't cover childcare. So it's more it's more efficient for me to stay home than it is for me to continue working. And that's just a really hard place to be. I hated to lose those home visitors. They were excellent. Um, but in the nonprofit world, you know, you're stuck on one end with your budget and what you can pay. And then on the other end, childcare is so expensive. And 
Another thing to bring awareness to is that childcare is so expensive, but the childcare providers are really not paid a livable wage. Mm-hmm. It's a humongous issue, not just in Nebraska. It's a national issue. And there's a lot of historic um, and racial uh, issues related to that. You know, if you look at the data of who is providing childcare for families, it's typically minority women um, or just women in general. Um, and so when you look at just historically the pay rate and even the value that's placed on that career. So thinking through, like we've even talked with um, child care providers to get them to switch their thought process. I'm, I'm not a babysitter. Um, you know, I'm not just, I'm not just this. They use that word, I'm just this. Um, you're providing safe care for a child to grow and thrive and be ready for school. So really valuing them by giving them a livable wage. And most childcare providers also don't have benefits if you would have at an old job. They don't have insurance. They don't have paid time off. Um, so just bringing awareness to all those issues. If you trust and value someone who's taking care of your most valuable possession, your your child, um, you know, you would think that you would want them paid well and supported in their own um, career. And that's very often not the case. Most people um, could work at Target or, you know, some other place and have a much more secure um, financial income, better benefits. And so the childcare industry is losing great providers um, at a really alarming rate. Yeah, I was gonna say, I agree with, I'm not a mother yet, but I would try to look up for childcare or look up for things. And it was kind of shocking how almost everything you said is I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom only because if I, I would like my job, but I think financially it made more sense. It makes more sense to be at home. And then, um, I don't have any other support. Like everyone I know was sounds bad dead. (laughs) Um, um, so it would just be me and my husband and, Mm -hmm. um, just knowing, like you said, or if I was going to work, I would go, well, if the child gets sick, well, I'm going to get in trouble for being gone a lot of times. And when you talked about the child care providers, um, person like for, um, experience, it's a little bit different, but when I was, uh, took care of people with special needs, my pay was 13 an hour mm-hmm. and I didn't get a pay raise for over 10 years. I was hit. Okay. I was kicked. I was punched. Yeah. Um, and it was like, oh, this is a great, um, I couldn't do what you do, but it was just a very, mm-hmm. um, almost like, well, I respect what you do, but the pay kind of shows that you don't. Yeah. And I do have friends that are in, were in childcare that, um, were childcare providers and everything you said is true. Um, you know, parents will spend 13 to 2000 a month and yeah. the childcare providers that work there make 12 an hour, mm-hmm. if, if not less, it's not a livable wage. Yeah. And like you said, a lot of times, um, even though I wasn't a childcare provider, I was a CNA and took care of people with special needs. A lot of us that were working um, were, like you said, they were minorities. They were from different countries. Mm-hmm. Um, they were single parents or there were people in their early twenties that, um, so it did get overwhelming where it's a, your people are being placed or children are being placed in um, their hands, but then they're not getting that respect as to like, this is a, this is a great, amazing job. It's kind of more like, well, you can do it. But um, like you said, um, 
they can get a better job at Target and stuff. And so it's kind of hard and frustrating that now that I'm older and looking into having a child, uh, people that work in the childcare industry, they're kind of looked down upon as yeah. not a great, um, that's not really a profession. That's not really that amazing when they think they should be more respected and more yeah. valued with pay. Yeah, I feel like very often people think of childcare providers and particularly family childcare providers who are doing care out of their home. We talk about them and we say, that's a business. You own a business. You're running a business out of your home. Just like if you had a boutique, you know what I mean? Like, why would we not respect the fact that that individual is running their own business and value what they're doing? What's more important than, you know, helping to raise children in our society? So yeah, you're spot on. People definitely do value the work that they do, or they look at them as just babysitters. And it's like, these providers, some of them are really working through kids with trauma. I mean, they might see some of the same things that you saw as a CNA working with special needs. I, I hear that very often. Like I had a kiddo in my classroom who was fighting, kicking, spitting kind of thing. And maybe they're only three or four, but it's like, that's really challenging. And if you think about a family childcare provider, say they have six children, when do they get to go to the bathroom? When do they get a lunch break? Like those things don't exist. So just valuing them, A, as human beings, but B, as the professionals that they are. And most of them, that they're doing that kind of level of care, they're licensed. So they had to go through extensive training. They have to go through a licensure process. And, and just to plug NECC, that's, we do have a department that helps people become licensed providers. So it's not just people think like, oh, I just started taking kids into my house. Like these people are trained and they take it very seriously what the work that they do with people's children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one thing I would love to hear from you, um, because you have so much experience working with serving children and families, parents, childcare providers, could you share maybe a particularly impactful experience that you've had? Um, gosh, I feel like there are so many, I, I think I'll think I'll give you two. So one was my previous role as a home visitor. Um, and I will never forget this, but, um, I worked with a mom. She was 16 when she was pregnant with her first daughter and I would go to her house and we'd sit on the floor and we'd go through our lessons and we'd make crafts and her little girl would come sit next to me. And, you know, over three years working with this family, you know, she kind of became almost like a little sister in a way. And then, you know, her daughter would just like feel really comfortable, would hug me when I would get there. You know, it just felt great. And um, she ended up moving out of state and we kind of lost connection or whatnot. And just this year, um, NECC got a message on our Facebook page and they said, hey, we saw that Alyssa is on your list of employees. Um, I've been trying to reach her. Can you connect me? And so... Um, our marketing and um, media person reached out to me and said, hey, this person's trying to reach you. And I was like, oh my gosh, I know her. Um, so long story short, she moved out of state, um, got married, had another baby, is working on her bachelor's degree, um, you know, just overcoming every stereotype about teen parents. Um, and I will also plug that she breastfed her baby until her baby was 18 months out of one breast because her other breast never produced milk. So she was just an amazing amazing mom um but it was so beautiful to just reconnect with her we ended up connecting on zoom and she said well part of the reason i wanted to reach out to you is because um i'm doing a project i'm actually pursuing psychology and i want to i want to work with teen parents 
Um, and so I just wanted to interview for one of my projects. And so it was just like, it was so warming to me to know that like I, you know, was able to work with her family and just to see the growth that she's had as an individual and um, see where she's at now. So um, that was super impactful for me because sometimes you don't get to see the outcome. Like you, you work with a family, you lose connection or they leave the program. You're like, what happened to them or, you know, how are they doing now? And so that was really impactful. Um, and then in my current role as a parent ambassador program manager, um, I work with, um, I worked with a child care provider who does family child care in her home. And she's amazing. She's just, she advocates. She spent like three hours on the phone with one of her parents, with one of her parents trying to help them advocate for their benefits for Title 20. She just goes above and beyond. And um, one of her goals for the Parent Ambassador Program was to create a project where she could teach the kids in her care about our local government. So she had this idea called Me and My Senator. And I would love to connect you with her if you'd ever like to hear about that more. But um, basically, the program is that she wanted them to learn about who their senators were. So she created these shirts um, that said, do it for me. And it had their handprints all on it. And she took them up to the Capitol, zero to zero to eight. She took all these kids up to the Capitol um, and they stood in the rotunda and they waited for their senators to come out. And they had flat families made um, of their faces. And so they gave it to their senators. Um, so their senator could walk around the Capitol and wherever they went, they could take a picture with their flat family. So Senator Raybold has a picture with her, um, her level that she took. Um, and it was really cool because the work that Shannon had done, the kids were able to recognize by face who their senator was. So she had, I think, a five-year-old who said, oh, that's my senator. And she knew who it was um, just because she thinks it's so important for kids to know from an early age how to be involved and who are your elected officials and that they're normal people and you can approach them. Um, so that was really impactful for me. She's actually coming back on Monday night for our next current ambassador group to share with the new group, the work that she's done. So I'm really, that, and, you know, even thinking of like the impact of that, I mean, obviously it impacts the senators, but the impact on those children, right? Like, I mean, Sure, there's so many adults that could walk right by their senator and have no idea that they're their senator, right? Mm -hmm. um, but for those kids to so early on be able to recognize like how important these people can be and how they can contribute to so many different areas of their life that have such impact. Um, but yet they feel comfortable. They recognize them. They know who they are. They they know that they're just, you know, your average person that they can yeah talking to um I think to very early on instill that in children is amazing um because honestly like even thinking through my childhood and my education like yeah I think we had a government class but like I don't think I really learned all that much about like you know my elected officials so yeah mm -hmm. I think that's a really cool program she started and you know I think that sounds like it'll have a really lasting impact on um all those kids that are in her care that go through that program yeah, I mean, even just seeing the pictures with the senators kneeling down, talking with them, you know, some of the ones that might be considered more hard-headed or stubborn when it comes to issues related to children and families, it's like, you can't really see those kids and not just have a heart for them. And so I think that's the other thing that she was trying to relay to the senators is, these are kids, but they are people in your district. So you represent them too. It's not just the adults, you represent the children. So what do the kids need in your district? So that was just so, so powerful. The pictures are beautiful. She's doing an amazing job. And 
um, trying to get more childcare providers on board to kind of do the same thing too. Yeah, very cool. Um, well, Alyssa, if somebody wants to connect with you, um, if they want to work with parent ambassadors, um, how how would you recommend somebody reach out? Yeah, um, so they can reach out to me directly. Um, email is probably the best. So it's my email is I Talkington, just like it sounds, talking D-O-N at nebraskaearly.org. That's the best way to reach me. Um, but also our website. Um, so if you go to Nebraska Early, um, our we have a parent ambassador page and you can subscribe there. Um, right now, like I mentioned, we are done with recruiting. So we've selected our group for 2024. So we won't be taking on any new members, but if they subscribe, we're hopeful that when we have those community-facing events, they might come out um, and stay connected, maybe apply next year and just kind of follow us too. Um, our alumni uh, are planning. So our first group graduating, then our alumni, our second group will graduate here in this next month. And so then we'll have two groups of alumni um, and they're really hopeful about planning these events and taking that on. So those will be open to the community um, and if they subscribe, they'll be notified when those happen and rescheduled. So that would be another way to get connected. And then, you know, in the meantime, I work with a lot of other agencies um, that are doing advocacy and early childhood policy work, parent engagement. Um, so if they can't get into this cohort, you know, like I said, our selection's already made, we can connect them with another organization to get involved. And then, you know, once we apply, we have applications again next year, they can certainly apply. So. Our goal is really to just keep the momentum up, whether it's with our group or another group. We want people who are interested to get connected. Great. Well, thank you, Alyssa, for chatting with us. It sounds like you are doing amazing, impactful, meaningful work within our community. Um, so we are so honored to be able to talk with you today um, and then share this episode with our listeners as well. Yes. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And um have to give all the credit back to the parent ambassadors. They're working really, really hard, and I'm excited to see what they'll do this next year. So thank you for having me. Hey, friends. If you like what you heard on this episode, please subscribe to our show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you can be notified of new episodes. Please leave us a rating and review to help others find our podcasts, and we love reading your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at Rooted Vitality and let us know if there are any topics you would like us to discuss or dive deeper into. If you are a health and wellness practitioner and would like to be a guest on our podcast, please message us. We love hearing from our listeners.